big god, Pinky of Pinky and the Brain here. Before Brain and I take over the world, we listen to Spoiler Country because we want to make sure we know about all the spoilers. Nerf. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, welcome back. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. I'm Kenneth Regan. That's Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, if you're... <laughs> I mean, he stretches back for a very long time doing voices in animation. And he really hit his... I don't want to say he hit his stride, but some of his most famous stuff is with the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles of the, of the late 80s. And I think he did it again here in, the, in, the, in not too long ago, in the 2000s. Yeah, uh, he did. But also Tiny Toon Adventures and the Animaniacs. One of my favorite cartoons growing up. Yeah, well, the Animaniacs was brilliant. It was, it was a, yeah. just God, brilliant. Uh, the jokes on that show, the the, the education on. I mean, guys, like, like I tell in the interview with talking with this guy, I, we, my school used stuff from Animaniacs in the teaching in the nineties. Yep. And we're talking about, of course, the amazing Rob Paulson, who did yeah. Yakko. He played. Yep. He was Pinky and Pinky in the Brain. And actually. You know this because if you listen to the beginning of the show, you heard the bumper that he gave us, which was amazing. Yeah, and so I mean, <laughs> so many. We bumpers. have a plethora of bumpers from Rob because he was super nice and just he just quick fired them out to us. Boom, 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 boom. Who? How was that? Well, yeah, it was great, Rob. And then you had to do it over again because spoiler alert: our name is Spoiler Country. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything about that, but. Uh, it was funny, man. It was so funny. And he was such a nice man about it. I would have kept it spoiler alert just because how do you, you know what I mean? Yeah. How do you how do you tell the great Rob Paulson that, hey, you got it wrong? Right. It's like, hey, well, like you did. You went, hey, uh, do it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I said, hey, it was wonderful. The only thing you got wrong was. <laughs> he was like, oh, yeah. God damn it. <laughs> such yeah, a great guy. It's awesome. They, talking with him was a lot of fun. He was such a pleasure, such a joy. Dude, what is your favorite moment of all the voices Rob Paulson does? I mean, you can't even begin to, to understand how many voices he's done in animation in the last 40 years. I mean, if you want to know, I did. So for, for, for him, because I was like, I was I started listing off his name to people, his voice. I was like, you know yeah. what? So I literally just copied the Wikipedia of his entire, everybody he's ever voiced and put it yeah. on the post. So down in the show notes, you can see all the voices he's ever done. God dang. <laughs> it's a long list. I mean, he was he plays PJ Pete in, in on Goof Troop and the Goofy movie, which is one of my favorite movies from like the nineties, uh, the cartoons at least. And, oh, that's hilarious. I mean, you want me to pick on my favorite character that he's ever voiced? Probably yeah. going to be Yakko Warner. I don't know. I just 
Hello, nurse. Exactly. (laughs) But Pinky's great. And like, I mean, uh, they're just, they're they're so, I mean, but I was also, you know, he was Raphael on the original Turtles and I love that show. Which is basically his voice. He said, that's the closest to his voice. Yeah. It's close to his natural voice. Yeah. 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 Well, there you guys go. Well, China, what do you think? Think we sit back and listen? We should. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, thanks for coming and tuning in. Uh, today is super special because, well, he's voiced over 250 different animated characters. He sung the countries of the world to us, and tonight he's taking over the world. Snarf, Rob Paulson, <laughs> thanks for coming on, buddy. Man, let me hear that. Let me hear that. Narf again. That was snarf. Oh man, I gotta. I better watch myself going to my car. I'm gonna get somebody's gonna take me out because there's a. There's a younger, better narfer out there. Um, um, well, on behalf of Brian and me, we both thank you very much for having the stupid one on. Um, and um, see, can I just tell you both right there, uh, right, right, what you both are just doing, and mm-hmm. I presume mm-hmm. some of your listeners are doing now, is you immediately were compelled to laugh. Yeah. Period. End of story. It wasn't even like you had to think about it. That's right. Cut, it's like. Boom. And, and isn't that interesting? I, I, um, when I was a kid, I used to watch Johnny Carson like everybody else. And when Mel Blanc showed up, it was uh, a remarkable thing to watch. And, of course, yeah. they're all of it on YouTube now. But is the moment Mel walked down, his very nondescript older gentleman sits down, you know, bald, and says, eh, what's up, Doc? And, it, and within, I mean, immediately, Johnny was in his hand and the crowd and the country. Yep in the palm of his hand then it goes on to you know and it and and i am by no way suggesting that i'm mel blank that's not for me to decide what i'm saying is that once a character becomes iconic and and arguably pinky and yakko are are in that realm now especially for almost two generations of fans all i have to do is start riffing his pinky and and it happens everywhere i go if somebody finds out who i am there is zero downside so i am so happy to share this stuff with you, buddy. It's a gas. Oh, I love it. Did you do you get the same type of reaction with Yakko? Mm-hmm. Especially from nurses. Hello, nurses. <laughs> you know, that and uh, of course, I I probably have to be a little careful nowadays with hashtag Me Too or You Too or Us Too or YouTube. I don't, <laughs> hashtag YouTube. Oh, I but love um, it. no, it's um, uh, but it, it still is. Look, I. I am uh, I'm older yeah. and I am the kind of guy who grew up calling young women uh, and I still do. And I'm at full disclosure. I, I am trying, but it's something that's organic now. I, I like if if you were uh, one of you folks was a, a young woman, I would say, oh, thank you, sweetie. Yeah. And I would not mean it to be a pejorative. I would not mean it to be anything except a term of endearment right. because that is the way I was reared. Yeah. However, I'm working really hard to say, well, thank you. Or thank you name. Thank you, Patty. Right. Or thank you, you know, but I, that's just the way. I, and, and so fat, it's so fascinating because uh, I was, you know, until we had the kibosh put on everything, I, I traveled a lot and I had days where in the same day I would have five different young women, say to me, oh, there you go, honey. Can I help you with your bag, sweetie? Oh, here, you, let, me, let me punch your, where are you sitting, darling? <laughs> All the time. Right, and, right. And I, but I get that it's different 
coming from a guy. So all that is to say that Yakko hopefully is immune from people under, you know, thinking that he's an, anything but a smart ass. So hello, nurse. Deal with it. Yeah. Deal with it. I love it. Yeah. So you started voice acting, doing this over back in the early 80s on a cartoon show that I would grew up on, G.I. Mm-hmm. Joe. Yeah. Um, that was the first one I ever did. I came to L.A. in the late 70s from uh, Motown, and I, the only other thing I wanted to be was a hockey player, and I learned pretty early on that I had neither the talent, temperament, nor dental insurance to make a nickel as a hockey player. So <laughs> the only other thing that really jones me was performing, singing, yeah. and, and, and acting. And so I'd had a pretty solid background for my age. I was 22, but I'd been on the road for years doing theater and music and oh, nice. came to L.A., to do, uh, you know, what the usual suspects do, um, TV, movies, music, whatever. And the opportunity presented itself to do animation in the mid eighties. And you're correct. The first shows that I read for were GI Joe and transformers. And I got a job on each of them. Nice. But I got to tell you guys, while I, I grew up watching cartoons like everybody and being a huge fan of Looney Tunes and Rocky and Bullwinkle and Flintstones and Johnny quest, all that. Uh, when I got in the room with, all these world-class and many of whom are actors i recognize from television yeah people i've seen on bob newhart and carol Burnett and that's cool you know mash and all that and uh but nobody was limited by the way they look they weren't even limited by their sex i mean you, you see guys playing girls girls playing guys sure. uh, it's just it's the purest form of acting that children do from the time they're quite little and they play with their t-step or they play army or whatever it's exactly like that and so i was utterly blown away not like i was surprised but by this time i had already done a fair amount of television and a lot of on-camera commercials and of course when you're a non-celebrity talent you're always limited first and foremost as uh, by the way you look do you fit the type that the casting is person is looking for but to go into a room with Jack Angel and Michael Bell and B.J. Ward and uh, Frank Welker and all those cats Frank and Welker, yeah. and um, watch what they're doing and go, holy crap, this is the gig, man. Yeah. I mean, I, nobody knows what I look like, but nobody cares what you I look it. like. I totally loved it no, because I was awesome. limited only by my creativity. Yeah. And, um, and so one thing led to another and probably it was about another, I don't know, five years later that my wife and a couple of uh, veteran on-camera actors yeah. who were playing both sides of the card you know, said to me, look, I don't know if your ego can handle it, but you might have a really solid career here doing animation because you can sing, you can sing in character, you can do dialects, you yeah. can do all that stuff. I don't know if you, know, you want to give up the other side, but you're starting to get more work here than the other way. And of course, for my wife, it was a no-brainer or no-pinkier, as the case may be, and she... <laughs> She said, look, you know, it's not that I find you difficult to look at, but you're doing really well in this realm. Yeah. And my, my timing was excellent because Steady animation paycheck, exploded. Right? Yeah, totally. And um, so I did. And you know what? I'm really glad I did because uh, I did. have to thank you. Um, I have to say, I, while I would be lying to you if I said I don't like it when nice people like you guys make a fuss over me, yeah. I, that that's the truth. However... It has never been my drive. Right. Uh, everybody likes it when they're made a fuss over. Yeah. But I'm in such a great spot now with my career because I stuck with it and did it for at least two generations. So now when I say, um, 
Hey, you guys, it's Carl Weezer. Are you going to finish that croissant? <laughs> I, I get thousands of people who lose their minds. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> they love Carl Weezer or Raphael or Donatello or Mighty Max or The Tick or yeah. Bump in the Night or Biker Mushroom, let alone all the big stuff. That list and, just keeps uh, going. It's crazy. It's crazy. And so I'm glad I did it for obvious reasons. It paid the bills. But the the, the rewards now are this type of fame in, in quotes, that doesn't, it's not a type of fame like, oh my God, it's Brad Pitt. Right. It's a type of fame that just goes, oh my God, that makes me so happy. Yeah. Almost to the point of tears. It's People a lot actually get, it's, and it's glorious. Yeah. I just love it. So thank it, you for letting me explain. Oh, I love, no, thanks for coming on and explaining because it's, it's a weird thing when something hits you on a nostalgic level of reminding you of your childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a completely different feeling. It's a completely different, you know, like you can meet Brad Pitt and, and, yeah. and he, he'll be, and he might be cool or he might be a jerk to you or he might be, you know, maybe never meet your heroes as they say, but at the well, same for what it's worth, for what it's gets, worth, he, he, he's very cool. Yeah. He's a very cool yeah, guy. I yeah. hear that. But I mean, yeah. but it, you, you know, as a, as a fan, you might meet him and then, you know, yeah. That initiation, but it, say you meet him ten times, you know, after a couple times, you'd be like, okay, well, it's just Brad, you know. Sure, of course. Of but course. when you hear Pinky, doesn't matter how many times you hear it, and you hear it like like what, how we're doing it right now. Yeah, it's it just you know all those uh, remembering all those times of watching it for the first time come flooding back, and you just it, start isn't laughing. that incredible? Yeah. And, and we're, well, remember one of the finest films ever made by virtually any measure is Citizen Kane, <clears throat> and yeah, and. You know, at the end of the movie, or he's talking about yes, and he's, re- and we know what he's referring to. Yeah, we know that he's referring to something that was so precious to him, you know, in his childhood, and here he is on his deathbed, uh, and and I don't think it's unusual that people, you know, when years ago before doctors would call, you know, talk about dementia and. and uh, uh, um, you know all the, the the serious mental issues that happen with a lot of old people. Yeah. Um, that they would say you're going in your second childhood and you start to revert back to what was important to you you're in your formative, emotionally formative years. It makes perfect sense. And the uh, the things that are seared into your memory from when you were four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years old that form whatever it is that allows you to move through your life, you know, and, and step by step, the moment that you are so predisposed with the shit of life, dealing with it, whatever it is, work, pandemic, divorce, money, cancer, everybody has stuff. But then, boom, you can be walking by a toy store. You can be walking, hear a, a song from your childhood. Or you can see, you can hear Yakko. And it just makes you go, oh, my God. I so remember that show. I'd forgotten about it, but yeah, you know that song with all the country. Yeah. Holy crap. I remember that. Dude, check this out. Remember this show? And before you know it, you're go- you're sharing all this online with people and you're both and some people are crying. Some people are going, "My god, my sister's gone now, but we lived for Pinky in the Brain." Or yeah. my dad and I bonded. We couldn't get along at all, but man, he sure loved Ninja Turtles and I watched it with <laughs> That's happens all the time. So it, it, it is not a new phenomenon, but it is a powerful one. Yeah. And yeah. Um, 
I I love exploring that because, as I said, you know, the, the, there is zero, and I mean zero, downside. I I, I could I could go on for a whole day about the anecdotal experiences I've had. That's awesome. Meeting folks like you around the world. Yeah. Um, and their children, where both generations will come up with their pinky in the brain, whatever, or their uh, G.I. Joe uh, action figure or their Ninja Turtles T-shirts that they wear in memory of their uncle, you know, Bill, yeah. who passed away from cancer, but he was a big turtle freak. I mean, it's stuff, it's stuff that you would never imagine. And so it is fun. its the most, oh, it's so cool. And yeah. I cannot get enough of it. You, you're talking about Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc. I was such a huge Looney Tune fans when I was oh, uh, yeah. eight, you know, seven, eight years old. Still to today. But I mean, but then I learned who Mel Blanc was and I saw him on TV and I was so fascinated by him doing all this stuff. When he came on Johnny Carson, uh, my mom would wake me up. Oh, to come great. pick me up and say, hey, because Mel Blanc's going to be on that night. And she would literally come and get me so I could watch oh, the interview with Mel Blanc. It was awesome. What a great mom. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Well, then you know what I mean. Oh, and, yeah. Um, and the, your listeners, uh, to the extent that they're interested, man, ladies and gentlemen, please, uh, of course, don't turn off this show for, for even two seconds. But when the show <laughs> is over, um, please do yourself a favor and just Google, uh, go on YouTube, rather, and just uh, search Mel Blanc. Oh, yeah. And um, so it will blow your mind, you know, the car starting and the, you know, the, all the animals and stuff that, but every, every Looney Tunes character, I, yeah. I worked with him once on, on um, oh, the really? Jetsons. Yeah. I, he was, he died at 81. He was probably about 80. Um, so this would have been 1987, 88. And I was uh, working on a Jetsons project at Hanna-Barbera and Gordon Hunt, the late, great Gordon Hunt who is uh, the director at Hanna-Barbera in those days, and also Helen's father, um, said, um, hey, Robbie, guess who's here today? And I said, well, I don't care. As long as I am, I'm just great to, glad to be here. And he said, no, Mel Blanc's here. I said, oh, my God. And I just thought, you know, he was old, and he was on oxygen. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, he was mentally fine. Right. But um, I just assumed they would, and understandably, give him the, the you know, the, let him record by himself if he doesn't want to be bothered and all that. He's an older man. Sure. And he, I, he said, well, you want to sit next to him? And I said, oh, my God. He, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'll never get this chance again, probably right. sadly. So I introduced myself. He was so delightful. And I said, Mr. Blank, as as you know, anybody with a pulse would say this. What a pleasure. Um, if it's not too much trouble. And, of course, he knew exactly what I wanted. Right. Just like just like I did at the beginning of your show. And sure. I saw the reaction. Sure. I, I knew what was coming. So my point is that it's the same for the biggest of the big. He knew it wasn't so much about meeting him. It was more about meeting bugs. Right. And so he just looked at me and said, eh, what's up, dog? And I, <laughs> I lost my mind. And so, so now look, look what happened. Look what happened to you with me yeah. doing an impression of bugs okay so it's the same it it is it is this crazy beautifully comedic chemical thing that happens to everybody and so i i, I now am starting to get to the point in my career where i i know what's coming and I'll go into a, I don't know, a, an event or something, and, and I'll be there as, you know, as an invite or something, an invitee. 
But once people find out who I am, the 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 smiles and the joy spread like wildfire. Oh, that's great! It's unbelievable to watch what happens. And again, not just, it's not me. I don't draw them. I don't write them. Right. It's the characters, but it's just amazing to watch what happens. But you so, bring them to life, though, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I'm good at my job. Don't get me wrong. I, yeah. I, 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 and and I'm an integral part of the process, but no more than a storyboard artist or an it's all animator. Part of the collective uh, team. It totally is, and yeah. it's a deeply collaborative effort. And I, Maurice LaMarche, and you know Frank Welker and Peter Cullen, all the usual suspects. We always take time <laughs> to remind people that. Uh, that we are the grateful beneficiaries of incredible amounts of love. And there is no question I, that the voice, especially with a guy like Peter. Yeah. Uh, and when yeah. he, when he says, uh, Autobots roll out, it's just Jesus Christ. It <laughs> makes, you, makes well, your head explode. How happy were you to see the movies come out and they, and they went you. back and got Peter to do the voice. Yeah. It felt like to me, I was like, when they announced the movie, I was like, they better have Peter Cullen be totally. Optimus Prime because everything else is not worth it if you don't do it. Well, and let me tell you a, per a perfect example of that. And yeah. what's what's great about your question uh, and, and my answer, the story I'm, I'm going to tell you is really important because um, sometimes I think people think, like when they come to Comic-Cons and stuff, that the actors are by and large there to, you know, we're having a good time making a little money, but we get to meet people. And that usually is the drive. Most of us don't go to Comic Cons to earn our living. We we have to charge a little bit to offset the cost of bringing us there. And the rank and file people like me and Maurice and Tress McNeil and all that, we keep our prices, I think, very reasonable. And again, our job is to meet the fans, make them happy, give them something they feel is valuable for a reasonable price, and offset the cost so the promoter doesn't go broke. Okay. Right. right. But the fact is that we are also Fans, nerds, geeks. And the reason that's 100%. important is the following. Um, Maurice LaMarche went to see the, uh, the uh, you know, the Transformers, the first Transformers movie. And, of course, we're all friends, Peter and Frank, and we're all friends. And I, none of us had seen Peter for a while. And we knew it was fine, but, you know, was, people yeah. had their lives. Yeah. And Maurice called me on his cell phone from the Chinese, the or sent me a text from the Chinese theater on Hollywood Boulevard. And all he said was, they got Peter, period. <laughs> and, and, and he had a giant heart, 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 big exploding face, all that stuff. And so I talked to him afterwards. He said, Robbie, it was unbelievable. He said, the place was full, naturally, with a bunch of geeks like me and their shirts and old people, young people. And you could tell there was this palpable collective holding of breaths and then when Optimus Prime says, you know, Autobot or whatever he says, right. the place lost their shit. They exploded. <laughs> and that's why it's important to tell those stories, because we love interacting with the crowd, either when from the traditional way that hopefully we'll come back, you know, via conventions. But the service that you guys are doing to people like me. And, and the rest of our fan base around the country and the world by doing this podcast is a huge deal. You guys, you got to know that. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate you're very, that. thank you. No, you're, you're incredibly kind by having me on and allowing me to ramble and all that. But the, the, the main thrust of what you do is pe keep people connected with things that they're very disappointed about. A lot of people save their money all year long to go to comic-con. Yeah. And, um, 
this experience uh, is so difficult on so many levels. And please don't ever sell yourself short on how important what you do is just for the the emotional and, and geek health of the people who listen to you. It's a big deal. No, I appreciate that. It hits right in the feels. It really does. Yeah, man, really it sure does. It. Not at all. We try. We really try. We, and we're doing... We're doing interviews with creators and writers and actors yeah. and everything. And we try to, we almost every day, I think we're booked out until mid June, right? How Tommy? about we're booked, that? We're yeah. booked out for releases to mid June, but we're booked out to actually be doing interviews until early July. God, that's great. It's that's crazy. It, it just, yeah. And the people that are coming on are, it's, it's ridiculous. It's like, I can't well, believe I'm talking with these people. <laughs> well, but no, you know what? I, and, and I appreciate that. I know what you're saying because, you, you know, I, I um, remember when I first moved to L.A., I, yeah. uh, I would start going to auditions and I'd be auditioning with people that I'd seen on television. And it's quite, it was quite intimidating because yeah. I'd be going, on the one hand, I'm excited because I'm here competing with people who've been doing this for a lot longer than I. So I must be on the right track because I'm, I'm here. Yeah. Right. But doing something it's right. So, yeah. But it's like, wow, do I really deserve to be here? I mean, am, am I fooling them or what if I can't deliver all that stuff? Now I'm not saying that's what's going through your heads. What I'm saying is that oh, you is. provide, <laughs> you provide us an outlet. We can't do this without you. And, and you know, I, that's what I said about, about Donald drama and I don't write them. Look, I realize you don't have to be an MIT grad to do a podcast. Right. I, I understand that because I did my own podcast. But you guys offer us a platform to talk about the things that connect us all. Yeah. And um, I, it doesn't surprise me one bit that you're getting really, really good guests because we miss it too. I had 15 con conventions booked this year. And yeah. at the end of them, I'd have had a nice chunk of change. But not enough. That's not how I make my living. Right. I donate a lot of it anyway. I do it because it keeps my it feeds my soul. I come home from three solid days of any convention being exhausted from saying thank you for <laughs> three solid days. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it helps you out. Go. You know, totally. And and you are helping us out. You are doing us the favor. We're the ones that should be grateful. If we don't have an audience, we ain't got shit. And the only way to cultivate that audience is to do whatever you can, whether it's theater or we have all this, you know, Zoom meetings and podcasts. Right. Don't, you know, don't sell yourself short, you guys. You and the others who are allowing us on your shows are doing us the favor by giving us a chance to connect. And, and we're very nice. grateful. It's very nice. Hey, I, I got to ask you, yeah. when, when you did Countries of the World as Yakko, mm -hmm. when you saw that come across your desk, what were you thinking? Because that is incredible. And, you know, classes were using that to teach kids geography. Yeah, and, something. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible, you know, and you can still use it. It still holds up. I mean, I mean, you even talked about Myanmar and Burma <laughs> yeah. changing to, from Burma to Myanmar, you know. Yeah. How long did it uh, take you to learn it? And, and what did you think when you saw it? Well, I'm so glad you asked because that is a remarkable piece of American oh, animation. It's amazing. It's it's. I feel like it should go down in, as American history as as. Hey, this is an amazing point of time that captured. Yeah, it captured everybody's attention. It did, and and it's used by. I mean, I've seen every year. I probably get half a dozen folks who send me clips from Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon. Look, they use Pinky in the Brain to compare Donald Trump and, you know, 
uh, Putin or <laughs> countries of the world on uh, about every country that's got COVID-19. It was on Colbert. And it happens all the time. The truth is, if Maurice LaMarche and I walked into the writer's room at Saturday Night Live and started riffing, they'd lose their minds. Yeah. Not, not because we're geniuses, but because they all grew up on so many different uh, types of American humor, yeah. including, the, you know, Pinky and the Brandon Animaniacs, which was about as good as it could get unless you're on The Simpsons. Very smart, incredible music, just like Looney Tunes. Okay. So I remember the very first song I recorded for Animaniacs was Yakko's World. And I knew that I'd gotten hired by and large for my comedy and singing shops, and I was ready to deliver. But I didn't know what the first song was going to be. And I got it and I got home and I I remember I was sitting in bed learning and my, my wife I had headphones on and my wife said, what is that? And I said, look at this. Look at this. And so I sang it for her. Oh, I was reading the music and she said, holy shit, that's that's nuts. And I said, yeah, Jeez. this is crazy. But and you're right, it is. And I'm so glad you used that word because, as I said earlier, this is not false modesty. Obviously, I was aptly uh, cast as Yakko. I haven't shut up for a half an hour. But I'm good at my job. But I live in L.A. You can throw a dart or a New York yeah. and hit a pretty good singer. Okay. Yeah. You can't throw a dart and hit somebody to write that stuff. And that is the genius. Randy Rogel, uh, who wrote Yakko's World, he also wrote The States and the Capitals. He also wrote, it's a great big universe and we're all really puny. We're just tiny little specks about the size of Mickey Rooney. You know, he, he just... <laughs> He wrote, um, uh, oh, so much joy you're going to have to learn to talk that variety, speak, just everything, multiplication or the presidents. He wrote all that stuff. But here's the kicker. Not only was it my first song and I, you know, worked on it very hard, but um, and by the way, what it didn't, it, it didn't intimidate me. I was ready to go. Yeah. What it did do was inspire me because it made me go, oh, my God. I am on the ground level of something that is so freaking unbelievable. This is where we're starting. Yeah. And we've got 40 piece orchestras and we've got Steven Spielberg. Are you effing kidding me? (laughs) This is where we're, (laughs) this is where we're starting. So the story that is not told, that's important to be told. And I I tell this when we do live shows, Randy Rogel and I now take Animaniacs in concert around the country and, of course, not at the moment. We had our shows all canceled for this year, but we do the music of Animaniacs around the country with orchestras, and it's incredibly fun and really remarkable. But I always tell the story about Yakko's World because it it serves to do two things to the audience. It will either inspire you to achieve whatever you can or make you feel like, nah, I'm not interested in being a songwriter. I'm going to work somewhere else, whatever. But Randy Rogel is a West Point graduate. Then he decided to get another degree and went to Boston University. Then he went to corporate America, started making a pile of money. Okay. His background is musical theater, writing, dancing, singing, comedy. Very, very Renaissance man. I mean, when you go to West Point and you're an incredible dancer, are you kidding me? So he's working in corporate America, but he says, you know what? God damn it. I'm a writer and a singer and a, and a I, okay. Makes his way to LA, bangs on the door at all the studios for any writing gig, finally gets hired at Warner Brothers on Batman, the animated series, another show that makes everybody go, oh my God, Batman with Mark yeah. and Kevin. Yeah. Are you kidding? Okay. So you know that show and how oh, powerful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. 
So Randy gets a job on that show, starts writing, and wins an Emmy. <laughs> then, because his background is music and comedy and, and clever, clever lyrics, he hears about this new show across the, the, the way, across the hall, being made by the same folks that made Tiny Tunes, on which we all work together. But Randy was not part of that. He says, oh, my God, now you're talking. This is really my, my wheelhouse. I mean, yeah, I can do drama. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to give the Emmy back. But this is where I, really where I want to be. And the Warner Brothers folks, you know, in comedy and music and Animaniacs said, oh, dude, you just won an Emmy for Batman. Keep writing that. This show is hot as hell. Keep writing that. We got Luke Skywalker as the Joker. Keep going, you know? So he said, yeah, I can do both. But please, please, please listen to my music. Listen to my song. So finally, you guys, they gave him a chance. He walks in and, he's, and he plays Yakko's World. That's the song that he used to audition what? for Animaniacs. He had, that song <laughs> in his, he had that song in his back pocket. That is what he said. Maybe I'll find a place for this someday. And he used it to say, well, this is, uh, this is what I got. I got others, but how about this? And I can only imagine that Tom Ruger, the creator, heard that and stuck his head out the door and said, Mr. Spielberg, I think you should come and listen to this. You know, And that is how that song got made. It was not only the first song we did, it was the first song that Randy wrote for the show. And it was the song he auditioned with to plead to get the job. Isn't that insane? That is insane. That's how good that That's son incredible. of a bitch is. Um, and, and, it, and it never stops. He's even better now. And, you know, we've been fast friends for obviously over 25 years. So we talked to her. I spoke to him yesterday. We talked together every day and I say, Hey, I wrote this. Oh my God. It's just, it's such a joy to be around people who are utterly devoid of pretense, but then they do what they're good at. And you sit there and you think, man, I don't know if there's a higher power, but this guy, if there is, really got a dose. Because this kid is a, it's a kid, 66-year-old man doing stuff that I still can't believe. And that's, that's real genius. You are 100% correct in using There are a lot of people that are really talented and really gifted. But genius is a term that's thrown around in our town, really, with way too much abandon. Randy is the real deal. Yeah, so, I mean... I don't know. You sit back, you listen to that. And I, I put it on today before you came on just so I can, you know, have a refresher course. In, yeah. Because the, the Animaniacs as a whole was just, it's just incredible. Brilliant. You know, and I don't know. It's, I, I know they announced a two season reboot, not reboot. I don't know how it's housed, but an, yeah, another two for, seasons on Hulu. Right. Uh, I'm always confused because uh, I don't know if you, you probably know by now, but Disney has purchase controlling rights oh i know hulu yeah yeah and i know w and animaniacs is so entrenched on being wb i mean right. they live in the wb tower for god's sakes right yeah. now it's an interesting question and don't trust me we've all looked at each other going now how's this going to work um yeah because we're we, you're right we're very excited because and randy's written some songs for the new show we're doing uh 26 half hours for hulu for this fall and I truly don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about the business uh, side of it. I don't know. I let, put it, let me back up. I do know that HBO Max has, um, I believe, is going to have the Warner Brothers catalog of Batman and all that other stuff. So I know that the Hulu deal between Amblin and Warner Brothers was made, I don't know, probably a year and a half ago or a couple of years ago before Disney bought controlling interest in Hulu. 
as far as I know, we're still going to be on Hulu. Um, yeah. I don't know. Here's what I, this is all conjecture because I don't, I don't hang out with, you know, the, the Bob Igers and the Steven Spielbergs and guys like that. But Animaniacs and Pinky in the Brain are two shows that are, that are unique in their, not only in their iconic status, in my humble opinion, but they're unique in that they warrant a reboot and they are warranting a reboot with Mr. Spielberg again. And so they've awesome. chosen to use the original lead cast voice actors again. Myself, Tress McNeil, Jess Harnell, and Maurice LaMarche, or Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, and Pinky and the Brain, respectively. But when you think about it in the context of how things get made, even reboots, um, that is a very unusual circumstance. Most of the time, if there's a reboot, it's not with the original cast, either because the producers have moved on or the cast, some of them might be dead. You never know, or not want to do it, or right. can't do it. But here we have a very unique window where the king of Hollywood, who produced the original one, wants to do it again. The original actors are every bit as capable and, and on board. And the we're not talking about a show that was like, oh, that was cute. We're talking about a show that influenced one and sometimes two generations of fans on a huge level that you can go almost anywhere in the world and say Pinky and the Brain or Animaniacs. And once the translation happens, you might get a few people, but virtually everybody would know that or have heard of it. Or at least they'd say, oh, yeah, that Countries of the World song. Seen that. That's incredible. So it's a very unique circumstance. So I can only imagine that, you know, once the deal was made, Hulu wasn't going to let it go. I don't know what sort of deal they made to do some, uh, subsequent episodes. If it might go to another platform, who knows? But when you think about it, the opportunity to, to do this show again at the same level with full orchestra, with Mr. Spielberg, all that again is so, so, so unique. And, um, and we're going to see. It's going to be a lot of fun. Remember... It's the first time, at least in my lifetime, that a fan will be able to watch a show that, on which they grew up as literally a child, all of which are now on Hulu, streaming 24-7. So you can literally, this fall, you'll be able to watch your favorite episode of Animaniacs, and then five seconds later, watch a brand new 2020 episode of Animaniacs with the same Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, and Pinky and the Brain. And... That is incredible yeah, to is. me that you will do it within five or 10 seconds of one another, but you literally transcend a quarter century and, and it's not, Hey, that guy who's done bugs bunny sounds really great. No, it's, it's bugs, man. It's like if Mel Blanc was doing Looney Tunes <laughs> at, you know, 25 years later, it's incredible. And I, and, and it's also a little not terrifying because COVID is terrifying. It's just, it's kind of interesting to be in a circumstance where people can say, wow, I watched the original Animaniacs and then I watched a new one and the new one sucks. <laughs> I hope, you know, I hope they don't, but that's the challenge, right? That That's the bars pretty goddamn high. And, um, and I love that challenge because I get to try it with my buddies and the King of Hollywood. I mean, this this is really unique in a, in the context of of American animation. So I I'm really thrilled to be part of it. It's an incredible incredible opportunity. 
Johnny. Hello, Johnny. Johnny, are you there? <laughs> I'm here, yeah. So I, I, I apologize. I've got five kids here, and they keep walking into my office as I'm trying to talk, and I have to mute real oh, quick. Oh, bless my, your my heart, seven, Johnny. My 17-year-old doesn't understand, hey, I'm trying to talk. <laughs> That's all right. I get it. Listen, I act like a two-year-old. I'm still learning to talk, so it's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you say that about the generational thing, because I grew up on Animaniacs and all those cartoons. I mean, I watched... I was in seventh grade and we learned the country song as our social studies assignment to learn all the countries of the world. What? Same with the state capitals. That was our assignments in seventh grade. And so I grew Did up you on really? that. And then, and then my kids, about my kids have actually already all, all watched them all because my, uh, my now 14 year old discovered it, discovered it on, I don't know, on some streaming platform or something like a couple of years ago. And they're all, you know, they love it and they're all into it and they're waiting for the new one to come out too. Well, th- then you, you absolutely, um, illustrated my point for me, Johnny, is that we have millions of folks around the world who have done this with their children. So, I mean, when you, there are shows, SpongeBob, Flintstones, Looney Tunes, that transcend the generation. Then there are shows that remind you of your childhood and off you go. But when you have something that appeals to people on a personal level to the extent that their children are as into it as yours are, John, that's very unique. Um, when you consider how much entertainment there has been over the years, and and virtually all of us have memories of snippets of here and there, but there are a handful of shows that really change your life. MASH, maybe Cheers, you know, you can name them, uh, that are on a huge scale. Science. With respect to animation, there are several. And um, obviously, Flintstones, um, Looney Tunes, and 50 years from now, I won't be here, but... I bet money that there are many snippets of Animaniacs which, which will have really done that. In particular, Yakko's World, because that is a seminal piece yep. of American art. Um, it really is. It's two and a half minutes, I think. It's obviously the song is speaks for itself or sings for itself. But the late, great Rusty Mills directed that cartoon. And um, the orchestration by Richard Stone, 40-piece orchestra, uh, when Yakko says, China, Korea, Japan, there's bum, 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 in the background. You know, it was yeah. orchestrated beautifully, um, just like Looney Tunes with uh, with Carl Stalling. We even used still to this day the same studio. Um, it's now called the, the Clint Eastwood scoring stage. But it was the, the studio to this day in which, you know, kill the web, kill the web, <laughs> all that stuff was orchestrated and all the Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brains and Batman and all that stuff was all orchestrated there and we're back again. I mean, the ghosts in that wall are incredible. But my point to you, Johnny, is is you've made it for me. Um, there will never <laughs> not be the time in which people 50 or 100 years from now will say, hey, man, let's check this hologram out. Here's this song. I was, you know, it's been, it was something done 100 years before I was born, but this is the way the world used to be. Isn't this crazy? Listen to these names, these countries. And and it's two and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah. And it, it just blows your mind. It's yeah. a it's it is a, a seminal piece of American art, and I'm so proud of it. It's really great. Um, so yeah, thanks for thanks for bringing your kids on board, my friend. You all get free tickets to the water tower as long as you don't get arrested getting on the lot. Then you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's awesome! Yeah, it's my kids love it. I, in fact, I was watching it uh, the other day because uh, this was happening. I was like, oh, I'm gonna watch some uh, some Animaniacs, and it's 
Sure. It still holds up to me. It's still it's still it great. No, the animation well, is thanks. so well done. You know, they didn't yeah, you, guys, and, you guys didn't skip was, on anything. No, and it was TV animation again. You know, TV animation by and large is is, is not as uh, sophisticated as feature animation. It's very expensive, but that's what you get when you get Mr. Spielberg. When you yeah. have somebody like uh, running the show who not only, you know, his pedigree, we don't even need to talk about it. Yeah. But <laughs> what it does when you're able to hit your wagon to his star, uh, it, it allows you to say, hey, guess who's producing this? Then you're going to get the best animators, the best. You're going to have the money to spend on it. Those were two shows. Now, listen, you're talking to 50% of the Ninja Turtles, so I know all about merchandising. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. <laughs> I, Raphael, when you guys were little, and I was Donatello on the 2012 Nickelodeon version. Nice. And I'm very proud of that whole franchise. That is a franchise that is bulletproof. Right. There will always be some version of Ninja Turtles. However, the thing to me that is most prideful with respect to Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain is those are two shows that were made for the sake of the art. Um, yeah, there are some so video funny. games. I was going to say that. And, you know, and there are some T-shirts, but nothing, nothing compared to SpongeBob or The Simpsons or Ninja Turtles. Nothing, nothing like that. Right. Transformers. And that that's fine. And the shows hold up. You said it. The shows hold up beautifully, and they're now being rebooted again right. with Mr. Spielberg at, what, 72 or 73 O's years old, precisely because it is art for the sake of the art. Yeah, There will be merchandise, and even if you go sure. to Hot Topic or Spencer's Gifts or Target Now, you're going to see Animaniac stuff. Great, I get that. But comparatively speaking it's not about that it's about what you just said it's about the content it's about the fact that they hold up that kids your people your age now will go oh my god i never got that cultural reference when i was 11 right i laughed like crazy at fingerprints but now when i see fingerprints <laughs> well i don't think so i mean i was just gonna mention that one too <laughs> right and there and that show and pinky and the brain are rife with Cultural hip references, a la Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yep. And and that's precisely the way it was designed to be written. That was the edict from the top that Tom Ruger and Gene McCurdy and Mr. Spielberg all demanded was to not condescend to the audience because they had the foresight to know, not that we were going to do it again on all these brand new platforms, but they knew that if there was a, a, a great explosion in the animation community in Hollywood and we were all killed that Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain and Batman and Freakazoid were at such a great level yeah. that they would last. And they do. Yep. They're excellent. Well, and it's, it's interesting that you said the way you, you had it because, like, I love G.I. Joe. But G.I. Yeah. Joe, at the end of the day, is, is a 22-minute long commercial, commercial to push for the action toys. Figures. And the of same course. thing with Transformers and the same thing where Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain and all of those – like you said, it's art for art's sake. Like Spielberg yep. had a love for Looney Tunes, and he wanted to do something that was in the same vein. And and my God, he knocked you guys just knocked it out of the park. Well, thank you, and you are one hundred percent correct, my friend. Um, and I've used that that um, reference many times. I said, look, I I will never not be proud of Ninja Turtles. Right? Um, How can you not be? Primarily because of the joy it's brought so many children. And their parents now who are grown up children. Right. Um, and I, we could spend an hour talking about my anecdotal experience about sick kids 
and what Ninja Turtles has meant to them and, and to me over the years. But awesome. that's a whole a totally different conversation. We should have with respect to, to, to do that. I would. I, I, I will tell you things that will make you weep. Oh. It, it would blow your mind. But, um, but with respect to, uh, to Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain, you are 100% correct. And I, uh, I, I, I cannot believe um, how fortunate we are to be able to look back and, and see this. Um, but I've used that axiom that, look, we're basically making half-hour commercials to sell action figures. So when you're doing something that you can go back and watch, and I watched them when they were on, they're on Netflix for about a year, a few years back, uh, Animaniacs was. Yeah. And um, I remember saying, I haven't seen these shows in 20 years. So I spent an afternoon watching five or six of them. And I was laughing out loud and forgot that I was part of the deal. And, <laughs> and awesome. I, I, it was completely um, authentic. I, I was just going, man, this is great. And then I really had a moment where I caught myself and said, dude, that's, that's you. And I said, Jesus Christ, this is really good. And I started calling all the people who worked on it. I said, I, I don't know if you guys, I mean, we've all moved on, but this is a really goddamn good show. Listen to this music. Listen to these orchestrations. Listen to this, this script. If you could, if you, I would just read the script by itself and it's funny. Right. Um, right. So then, you know, you really got something. And, um, and we do. And I am, uh, so profoundly grateful because the, I'm in the last act of my career. I'm 63 years old. I feel great. I'm going to be, you know, hopefully live another few years anyway. But the fact that I can do that, do this again at this level and, and, you know, try to knock one over the center field bleachers again with Mr. Spielberg. Are you kidding me? This is nuts, man, to give yeah. this a shot. You know, Rob, one of the things I loved about you when I was when I was reading up some of the stuff that you've done and, and some of the things is when you were doing live action and you were in the movie, I want to call it Body Double. Yeah, yeah. Brian De Palma. Yeah, and you said, but you said, though you loved being in the movie, you didn't push it so much because you couldn't be proud of the fact that your kids couldn't watch it. Right. And I That's thought true. that was like, oh. Well, thank you. And look, I, I, I don't want to be uh, a hypocrite. I, right. I am proud and I am grateful for every job I've had. I have people say, wow, I bet you didn't like this show. I bet, I bet, you know, th this was a cartoon that really tanked. I bet you're embarrassed about that. Not one bit. Right. I was paid well, and I had no problem cashing the check. Sure. No one, no one in our business starts out to take a million bucks of somebody else's money or nowadays a hundred million plus of someone else's money and screw it up. Right. This is, it's very tough to make something that is worthy of the investment. And, uh, I'm not saying that about body double. I think body double, I guess it did. Okay. It's Brian De Palma. Yeah. He's Brian freaking De Palma. <laughs> right. You know, Hello he, Scarface. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, um, and no, you're talking about Body Double, which is a, yeah. a murder mystery set amidst the porn industry in uh, in L.A. Right. And what what happened was um, when I was still doing on camera, I got a call to go read for uh, Mr. De Palma. And of course, any actor having grown up watching Carrie or, um, uh, you know, but like you said, Scarface. Uh, um, oh, gosh, what's the one with Angie Dickinson um, and Michael Caine? Um, oh, 
Which one is you that? You know which one I'm talking about. It's a murder, another murder mystery. Yeah, yeah, um, no, I know what you're talking about. I mean, it's it's Brian freaking De Palma. The guy is yeah, okay, a legend. Right, all right. <laughs> I mean, his group, you know, the, his classmates were were um, Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese and and uh, uh, Francis Coppola. They're all, they're all, you know, played pool together. All right. So though, that's the pedigree. Of course, you're going to go read for Brian freaking De Palma. Dressed to kill. So I went in and read. I knew it was a murder mystery. No surprise. He does those. Yeah. So I read a scene. I didn't get the whole script. No minor actor does. So I read my scene. I went home and there was a, a message on my machine already. Mr. De Palma loved you. Wow. Holy shit. Great. Nice. So there, he's, he wants you not for the scene he hired you for, because we did the scene. He liked it. Then he said, okay, throw away, this, throw away the script, Rob. Let's just improvise. And I'm pretty good at that. Yeah. So we did it. I was 28. Uh, it felt good. I went home and I said, well, if I don't get it, it won't be because I didn't give it my best shot. That's what you want as an actor. You, you, it's one thing not to get the job. It's another thing to get in the car and go, shit. Right. That's what I should have done. I didn't do that. I knew I'd given a good audition. I was right. I got a job. Three days work on this new movie called Body Double. So um, yeah, the script will be there for you. Uh, you'll have plenty of time to learn it. You've got three days. Who knows? It might turn into a week, but it's Brian De Palma. Right. Wow. Plus, his, direct, his constant director of photography, Stephen Burham, was with him. And anytime you get to work with a great DP... You know, they, you know, you're going to be lit beautifully so that whatever scenes you're going to be in are going to be lit. And you are. And if your scene stays in the movie, you're going to be lit. Right. By a guy who's won an Oscar doing this, man. This is the nice. this is the big time. <laughs> so I was thrilled. Um, went to work, set downtown, a city building on Melrose. Um, and. I was, as I mentioned, it was a. A. a uh, murder mystery in the porn industry. I was, uh, uh, so we were shooting a scene in which I was the cameraman in this integral scene to move the story along. It was, yeah. I don't know, four or five scenes. And my most, and I had a very infamous line, which was, where's the cum shot? <laughs> and oh, so it, yeah. Okay. And I read it and I thought, wow, that's a little bit that's a little bit something that, you know, little right. Robbie Paulson from Flint, Michigan would never have probably said in his whole life. Um, and and the weird thing was that I was surrounded by extras. Uh, it was I and you guys remember Scarface, but remember the, the actor in Scarface who had the chainsaw in the shower scene? Yeah. OK, that actor was the director in oh, the scene funny. in which I was the cameraman. So it was it was doubly weird for me to meet this guy because I'm like, holy shit, I know that actor is he's, he's frighteningly good um so we hit it off we spent a week together and we did a bunch of scenes but what ended up in the movie were that scene and a couple of other ones but the extras in our porno scene were real porn actors so it was oh. let me tell you kids when i was having my lunch and i walk on the <laughs> closed set and it was just me and the gentleman you know the director mr de palma and steve burham and um, Melanie Griffith, and then a bunch of extras who were getting themselves ready for the scene, right. if you know what I'm saying. It was freaking bizarre. Surreal. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my God, what am I doing? Did I leave? <laughs> no, of course I didn't leave. How can you I leave? Did, I did the job. So I went home and I told my wife, and she said, look, honey, um, 
did you do anything illegal? I said, no, I nothing. And nobody forced me. I was just, it was weird. And, you know. <laughs> okay. So I went back to work and I finished the job and, and you know what? God damn it. it I was a grown up. I was yeah. in the movie business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But here's the deal. While I will never denigrate it and I will never regret it because it allowed me to work. It allowed me to give me a, a legitimate credit. My son was coming along and I got a nice chunk of dough to help pay the bills for our, my first and only new baby. Years later, this is the kicker. Talk about the sins of the father. Yeah. Sins with a small S. <laughs> Years later, um, uh, I was in bed at home and my son had a bunch of buddies over at our home in, in Los Angeles. And they were watching, I guess, HBO, whatever. And he was 16, 17. And uh, I'm half asleep and my kid opens the door and he goes, hey, dad. And I said, yeah, you okay, buddy? He goes, yeah. Um, were you in a movie called Body Double? Oh, and no. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what my wife did. She started laughing. I said, "Yeah, that's me." He goes, "Oh my God, that's that's crazy." We just heard you say, "Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know what you heard me say." Just <laughs> I was there. I said it. <laughs> I was there, God. and my wife laughed and laughed. And so the upshot is that it got a great laugh. It paid my bills. It appropriately embarrassed me. It taught me a lesson. But the, the main lesson is to not it, look, I could have said, I'm not interested. No one yeah. would have said to me, hey, dude, you're a Pollyanna because we have the right to do that. Right. But I what I believe is that once you decide to jump in, you have to figure out a way to say, you know what? I did it. Um, I don't feel guilty because I didn't break any laws. Right. There are people who would find that distasteful. All right. Well, that's your realm. But let me tell you something. Another thing I've learned that people can find anything distasteful. Once I once um, Ninja Turtles became huge, I can't even tell you the number of interviews I had where parents would get on like a show like ours, only be on the radio. Right. And somebody would say, hey, we're taking some calls. And of course, you want some conflict. You want something to be interesting for the listener. So they you know, that sometimes the DJs would line up calls with people who would have a problem with Ninja Turtles thinking it was too violent. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I can handle myself. I, I can take a punch. So, you know, most of the calls would be, oh, my God, we just did a um, child, you know, my kid's birthday. He loved Ninja. Would you talk to him from the sewer? Hey, Johnny, it's Raphael, dude. Cowabunga. Okay. But then, you know, they they throw a couple of ringers in there and say, hi, Mr. Paulson. My name is Karen. I live in Wapakoneta, Ohio. And we don't allow our children to watch Ninja Turtles. I'm sorry, but we just think it's too violent. And then there's a pause. And I said, well, thank you, Karen, for calling in. And I really appreciate that you were straight up and and good luck with your family. Yeah. Well, I just want you to know that, well, I, I, I get it. And I absolutely respect your privilege. I am a parent myself. And I knew what they wanted. They wanted me to bite. Right. And and I'm like, look, I. I I have no problem with what you're talking about. You you're clearly a woman who loves her children, just like I love mine. Yeah. And and I, so what I would say is, all right, and if you really want to engage, um, you know, we've read these articles about where children will, you know, pick up a bat and and believe that, you know, they're a ninja turtle and they'll hit their brother. And I say, well, uh, or or try to open the lid of a sewer. And I say, look, I 
understand utterly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and if you have an eight-year-old who can lift up a sewer lid, you got to get that kid into bodybuilding because that's remarkable. <laughs> or some boxing, something. Right. <laughs> and of course, my God, Karen, do you think for one minute that anybody involved in the show would would get a kick out of the fact that a nine-year-old found his way into a sewer and was injured? Of course not. That's part of, you know, the parenting thing. And with all due respect, Karen, if your ch child picks up a hockey stick and whacks your, your other child over the head with it because he's imitating Looney Tunes or Raphael and Donatello beating up Shredder, then then you got to get that kid some help. Yeah, yeah. Maybe because some therapy. <laughs> I, if I ever tried to drop anything resembling an anvil on my sister's head because it's something I saw on television, my parents would have gotten me out of that situation and into therapy yep. right now. Yep. It was very clear, very <laughs> clear, the delineation. Look, I'm a hockey player. If somebody hits me over the head with a hockey stick, they're thrown out of the game. Right. And hockey is a violent game. Okay? So please... I, as much as I admire and respect you for being a good parent, if you're trying to engage because Turtles is violent in, in that way, then you're, you're preaching to the wrong choir. Yeah. Because the good that Turtles has done, irrespective of the money that people spend on action figures, if you really want me to tell you my anecdotal personal experience about the number of parents I speak to whose lovely children have left the hospital in a body bag, but they want to talk to me about the phone call that they received from Donatello or Raphael or whichever yeah. that got their children through their chemotherapy and they still died. I'm happy to have that conversation, but I'm not oh, going to engage. With that. And of course they don't. Yeah. And so, and, and it's not that I don't understand what they're talking about. Then you know what? That's what I love about free enterprise. Turn it off. Yep. Don't Turn let them off. watch it. My mom Period. didn't like, me watching violent TV shows, well, perceived violence. I mean, really, when you watch mm -hmm. GI Joe, no one, no one gets hurt. You know, right? The plane flash gets burnt, gets shot down. The plane gets shot down, sure. but the, you know, then you see the parachute open and all that kind of stuff. But she never, she, she left it up to me because obviously, you know, I didn't go and try to shoot somebody or hit right. somebody. Um, she just said, you know, I, I don't like it, but she goes, you know, it's not doing anything wrong. You know, right. so and, she, well, and she's the most conservative Christian lady you'll ever meet in your life. Exactly. And and look, we knew that. And frankly, look, I did 200 episodes or something of Ninja of uh, Turtles. And the last season or two were literally half hour commercials or 22 minute commercials to sell action figures. Yeah, because often the freaking turtles voices would come out of the wrong color. And, you know, it was yeah, it was ridiculous. It was cheap. They, they just get it them was out. Cheap. Yeah. Right. And I, it was like a, a, an, an album to fulfill a contract, um, you know, and nobody's really writing good songs anymore, whatever. Yeah. And I get I that. Exactly I totally get it. Yeah. But the strength of Ninja Turtles is that that franchise and the, the ethos and the mythology of that show inspires new, really talented kids yep. to do their own versions. And yep. I got to live that too, you guys. I mean, you're talking to a lottery winner. There are many people who will look at the 2012, 2016 um, CGI version of Turtles on Nickelodeon 
and say, oh, my God, the original show blew my mind when I was a kid. But I got to tell you, that version, when I was, you know, 28 or 30 years old, that uh, it was Seth Green was Leo, um, Sean Astin's Raph, I'm Donnie, and Michelangelo is um, uh, Greg Sipes, whom you guys know as Beast Boy from Teen Titans. Um, oh, yeah. But that iteration of the show on Nickelodeon blew people's minds, yeah. including Kevin Eastman, um, because Kevin said, wow, I got to tell you that if I'm looking at a version of the show of which there have been half a dozen now, that iteration is the most authentic in terms of the ethos and the mythology of Ninja Turtles. That's awesome. Um, Hoon Lee played the voice of Master Splinter, a world-class actor um, in so many things, and it's really good. So what that tells me is that it's not so much about which particular vehicle. It's the fact that the mythology and the comic and the, uh, the idea that Kevin and Peter came up with all those years ago is so freaking solid yep. that you really can't wreck it. People may like it or not, but they are so entranced by the mythology of Ninja Turtles. I mean, you go to a, even you go to a, a tiny Comic-Con and you see all this original art inspired by what, by what Kevin and Peter did. Yeah. That's the magic. Yeah. That's what's cool. It's, it's like cool. Batman. It's, it, there are going to be a million versions of Batman or Spider-Man. And the creators are long, long gone. Yep. It's not about which one is good or bad. It's about how deeply inspiring Ninja Turtles is. And, dude, I got to be part of two of them. I, I mean, I'm so lucky. I tell Johnny all the time, we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. And one of the things, we, the anecdote I always use, hey, 3,000 years from now, and America is long gone as a country. Because every yeah. country come, you know, rises and falls. They will still be telling Superman stories, Spider-Man right? stories. Batman. Exactly. They're still going to be there, and that's and, right. And they're going to look at Superman and and all those all these characters. They're going to look at it as part of historical significance of American culture, just like they do with, you know, the great plays of of, of Greece. It's well, oh, totally. It's you're one hundred percent correct, and we know that's true because right now. If, if anyone were to say, who is the archetypal Hollywood producer guy of the zeitgeist? Well, yeah. Steven Spielberg. Yeah, he, totally. he just is. Of course, there are all sorts of great... We've discussed them. Billy Wilder, Otto Preminger, you know, all, all, of, the, all of the great... Alfred Hitchcock. Yep. But for our time, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And, and even in his eponymous documentary on hbo a couple of years ago i don't know if you called it it's called spielberg oh, i want to and, check that out i haven't seen that yet i oh, have it's HBO, great. so it's, i'll look it up it's like two hours and and the first thing he says as a young man is i believe every film director should learn uh how to direct animation because it really forces you to think outside what is the realm of possibility and really cool. opens your mind to what is possible um visually and to tell your story and I'll be damned, you guys, during this two-hour, whatever it is, two-and-a-half-hour journey through the best of pop culture. And he admits himself. I mean, not everybody has hits. Yeah. But um, what's really cool is I'm watching it kind of entranced, having had the great pleasure of working with Mr. Spielberg on half a dozen projects. Tiny Toons, Amazing Stories, E.T. Oh, amazing Stories. Um, I love that show. Um, the Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain. Um, and here we are halfway through, 
and I'll be damned. Here's it, we're tiny, we're toony, we're all a little loony. It's time for Animaniacs. And then Pinky in the Brain and all this stuff. Yeah. And I called Maurice, I, put, I froze it, and I called Maurice, I said, dude, I don't know if you've seen this, but this might, this might really get you where you live. We are included in Stephen's self-titled documentary about his life. Oh, that's awesome. And it is awesome. Now, personally, it was something that I, I wish I could have called my parents and said, you guys, check this out. Yeah, I mean. Of course, it. I couldn't, right? But moreover, what it did was solidify exactly what you touched on just a few seconds ago, is that this is high-quality American culture that the, the – Right. The go to guy when you think of who's the the man, Schindler's List, Jaws, okay. Saving Private Ryan. I mean it just right. goes on All and of on. It. Yeah. And the lost art. He is <laughs> right. And he is just as proud of Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, Tiny Tunes. He's including that as well, because that's and um if you indulge me, um this really gets me um i i still can't believe i get to say this but here we are all that stuff later and when mr spielberg went to pitch animaniacs and pinky in the brain to hulu apple yeah um amazon you know uh, netflix all the usual streaming platforms it was made clear that not only is Mr. Spielberg going to go to pitch to let the, the buyers know how serious he is to all those pitches, but he called uh, Maurice's agent, Tress's agent, Jess's agent, and my agent and said, may we please have a two foot by three foot, eight by 10 of Rob, Tress, Jess, and Maurice, because we're going to make it clear that this is so important and we're not going to stunt cast these actors are the actors that brought these characters to life. So Stephen wants to make it sure that these guys are in. And I cannot tell you, folks, what that means to a non-celebrity talent to have a gentleman like Mr. Spielberg say, oh, by the way, if we do this and you want to do this, you're in. That is so cool. Yeah. Because... You know, we live in an era of of the talking chicken being George Clooney because it's going to get butts in the seats. And it may or may not. That's not the issue. It's right. about the script. Right. But the fact that Steven Spielberg would go back to the, the, the folks who made these things live. And it was not even a question of maybe using celebrities. His point was, look, I've seen Rob sing that crazy countries, the world song a zillion times on Hulu. I mean, on um, on YouTube. It's got 25 or 30 or 40 million hits. Why would that go to somebody else? Right. This guy can still knock it out of the park. Are you kidding me? Right. And and that's what the audience wants. That's the authenticity that not whether or not they can buy a T-shirt with a new version of Yakko on it. That's what drives the people to the to watch the show and lines them up out the door at New York Comic Con. So, of course, we're going to hire them. But can you imagine what that means to a person who's worked his whole life to not only generate a good solid career, but I'm not a celebrity and I'm fine with that. And I, the character is famous and Steven knows that an integral part of a character is the soul. Yeah. And I am the soul. That's and awesome. how, what does that speak to 
to the authenticity and the humanity of Steven Spielberg. Yeah. That's a that's really important. Yeah, that, that people understand it's not me. It's not, you know, it's the guy who can make it all happen is a fine man. And he moves through the life, through his life with grace and kindness, crazy skill and enormous power, but a, a fine, thoughtful, caring man, which is how we should all behave. Yep. Irrespective of what we cultivate in terms of celebrity, that's how you behave with kindness and grace and, and generosity. And he does. And, and I can tell you that because I'm living it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great message. It's a great way to think of, of Spielberg because, you know, it seems like he's more out there nowadays than he was yeah. back in the past. You know, you see more of him on, you know, I just watched a, uh, I just watched this awesome thing that who did the voice of the snowman on Frozen? What's his name? Oh, God. Oh, Josh Gad. Josh Gad. Yeah. yeah. He's Josh got a Gad, podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's got a YouTube channel and he's doing this reunited thing. And he brings back classic movie casts, and then they, yeah. you know, they just talk about everything. And he did the Goonies, and he had all oh. the original Goonies back. And and near Sean the end, was on that. Yeah. He even had Richard Donner on, which was yeah, incredible. And then, who and, directed you know, the first? Who directed the first um, anime? I'm sorry, the first uh, Superman movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's in his 90s now, but he was on, mm -hmm. and he was still just, you know. Just right there, talking about everything. Yep. It was amazing. But then near the end, he brought on Steven Spielberg. And How about that? It, it was just awesome to sit there and listen yep. to him sort of talk about everything. And he looks great. And he he just, oh, I don't know. I Spielberg, you know, built my childhood in a lot of ways. So Totally. Yeah. Mine too. Yeah. And I I met him the first time working on E.T. I did a bunch of background voices on oh, E.T. Cool. And at the time, it was called A Boy's Life. And he was very gracious, came in. Really? I even um, nice to meet you and pleasure to meet you okay all that then he hired me as uh on, on um as for an on-camera role uh, on um amazing stories oh. years which, later which, I worked which, which story? it was the episode it was the episode of um where they uh, uh they go back to the app they go to the alamo and they go back in time yeah um and i played i think a i don't know a few scenes i gotta tell a, you rob i loved that show i was so was a great show sad when they canceled it yeah the, it was a great the, show. The, the famous one where they're they got to land the plane in world war ii and, and, the, yeah. and the artist is on and he draws the wheels and yeah. then the halloween special with with uh, christopher lloyd oh yeah and, and they, yes. they cut his head off <laughs> oh my god no, i was like great. oh my god and i can't I, believe they're showing this <laughs> yeah and i, I it, it's it, every time not only is it great work but every every example that I or every time I've crossed paths with him, either via work or at a, a you know a celebration of the work, a rap party where he takes the time to talk, and it's not just me. Yeah, everybody. That's and, awesome. And what it does is it totally shows you how if you're lucky enough to cultivate anything resembling celebrity, and you guys have given me so much time, you're treating me like Steven Spielberg. Oh, we love you, man. And, we, we we can't well, wait to have you on again. Thank you. I'm so grateful, but but what it does is it you know that now how the the biggest of the big behave, so that no one, in my mind, has any right to behave like you know hot shit or smartass or whatever. Because I want to say to them, dude, I hope you save your money, because um, the people who could behave that way don't. They're easy to work with. They're kind. They're generous. They're thoughtful. 
Um, they don't, they don't settle. And if you're not cutting the mustard, you you're, you know, you'll be let go. Yep. But it's not about their ego. Um, I love that. It is all about making sure they get the best product done and they get the best. And Stephen, part of Mr. Spielberg's genius, I believe having seen him work is hiring the people who are the best at their jobs and turning them loose. And, and, and he's done that on shows on which I've worked and I, I have the Emmys to prove it. And, and so, <laughs> so does it. everybody else. So does everybody else. Yeah. And, and the Oscars and they, the, the careers he's allowed to flourish because he said, Oh yeah, you're ready for this. I'm going to get out of your way, but I'm going to give you the shot because Lou Wasserman did it for him. And that's how we pay it forward. And, and, it all it serves to do is not only make people want to go to the mat for you to do good work, but then it allows those of us who have had that uh, uh, generosity shown to us. Whenever we get the same opportunity in whatever realm, we do it too. Yeah, because yeah. we say this is how the best of the best would have done it, and I want to be like that. And it doesn't have to be in show business. We can all live that way. Um, I just love these opportunities because people will listen to you guys when you do your podcast. And then they hear a story from some knucklehead voice guy about how Mr. Spielberg moves through his life. The next time you have a chance to be nice to somebody or to give someone a break or to go out of your way to give somebody who's just starting their home painting. Yeah. Like somebody who's just starting their home painting business. And you go look at it and say, you know what? I'm going to give this kid a shot. And, and that's important. Yep. I and you that. never know when, you know, your house painting might have given Rob Paulson his house painting shot. And now that example can be in his portfolio. And now all of a sudden I've got a, you, you helped me and it doesn't have to be in Hollywood. And so I love that you give me these opportunities to talk about it because it's, it's about life, right? Yep. That's exactly it. When we started this podcast, we said we, we concentrate a lot on comic books because we both love the medium and things, but then we really always wanted just to hear interesting good. stories, good stories, heartwarming stories. We don't concentrate on negative. We tell people when they come on all the time, "Hey, you know, we're not here to te- we're not here to scoop you in any way. We're not here about that. We're here to put you in the best Great. way possible because we're supremely interested in what you do." Well, you have done just that, oh, and um, well, you we guys really appreciate put- you coming on. I mean, it's oh, it's, please, it's been such a it- pleasure. It's been my my great pleasure. And look, I have worked really hard for this privilege. And that's exactly what this is. There are many, many actors who wouldn't get this shot. And um, it is a privilege when anyone takes the time to say, we want to make a fuss over you. So um, thank you very much, fellas. I really appreciate it. And thank you, all of your listeners, for sharing all these wonderful characters with your families. And um, we really appreciate it. And I can tell you truthfully that um, well, I'll just leave you with this, that laughter is the best medicine, you guys. And the cool thing is you can't OD and the refills are free. Ah, and um, so true. I am so grateful for the opportunity. Keep smiling, keep laughing, keep watching. And um, I would love to chat with you again someday when you're when you're ready for another crack at this. But in the meantime, I'll see you up in the water tower this fall on Hulu. Hey, we're back. We're back. We're back. I don't know why what, I always do that voice, but I'm always like, "We're back." Yeah. Just, what'd you think? <laughs> it's fun. What'd you What'd you think? 
I mean, I, same as when we were on, I think it was amazing. He was a lot of fun. He was very humble. And, you know, I, I actually ended up watching a few interviews with him after, um, ours. Yeah. And, um, uh, he's, I like that he, if you look at the, sh- the graphic I made for the show note or for the show today, it says on it, you know, laughter is the best medicine. You can't OD and the refills are free, which is something he says quite often, which yeah. I think is a really, really good phrase. And it's, 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 it's true. Cause I mean, when you start laughing, you just, you feel better. Always. Yeah. You can have, you could be depressed and start laughing about something. If something can hit that funny bone the right way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the greatest cure for depression. No, I mean, like, I, I had some, I got some bad news today, Ducker and personal stuff, and but yeah. finding something funny and, and just talking it out, you know, it, it, it doesn't take helps. away the, the bad news stuff, but it makes you, kind of helps you get out of it. it makes so. it a little bit more bearable. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there you guys go. I hope you really enjoyed that. Don't forget, go check out Spoilerverse.com. There's a ton of other podcasts, not just our own, that we host there, uh, and they're all wonderful shows, and there's tons of articles for you to enjoy nothing behind a paywall so it's it, it's a it's a good time by all it is a good time by all and you can show your support for us by going to that store button in the middle of this page there and picking up a t-shirt a hoodie a mug or whatever and just you know we get a couple dollars and it helps us keep the lights on keep things going there you guys go all right don't forget in an oceans of podcasts we are Cthulhu as Cthulhu compels you to do open the mind and read more Hey, Rob. Yeah. Hi, I'm, I'm Kenrick with Spoiler Country. How are you doing today? I'm breathing and not in jail, but day's not over yet. So far, so good. <laughs> you can still get there. <laughs> That's right. I got John on the line with me. Say hello, Johnny. Hello. Hello, Johnny. Hello, Johnny. I can do that. Um, thank you, guys. <laughs> this is a real pleasure. Thank you so much for lowering your standards for the day for uh, an old cartoon knucklehead like myself. This is very kind of you. I appreciate I, it. See, I think it's the other way around. Why would you want to come on a, a piddly little show like ours? And here you are. Let me, let me tell you something, man. I You're talking to a guy who's uh, come from, you know, just tr- probably maybe, I don't know you gentlemen personally, but, you know, very humble beginnings from a small town in Michigan. And I am daily... I probably wear long sleeves in the middle of the summer because I have to hide my arms to show to not show people how many times I've pinched myself. Um, so I I am no different than you guys. I, I maybe playing a big bigger sandbox maybe, but let me tell you, it's um we all love uh, what we love, and yeah. uh, and it's uh, the Jones is no different whether you're in Bellevue or or. LA or it's just, you know, it's just a gas to be able to do something for a living or even for your avocation that brings you so much joy. So you're preaching to the choir, bud. Nice. I love it. I love it. Well, are you ready to go? Should we just get into sure. this? Sure. Fire it up. All right.